1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but it's, uh, I'm always encouraged, and I probably say this, I'm encouraged that our younger group uh, are comfortable enough to have a good time in church. You say, well, that's weird. Is it really? I'm glad church isn't stiff, like a bunch of false faces, amen? I'm glad it's just like family. And the older I get, the more the people of God mean to me, this preacher. So I'm glad you came, and I know it's cold out, but uh, bills are paid, and it's warm in here, amen. So, uh, all right, we left off in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, and we started taking that thing apart just a little bit here, and let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for the King James Bible. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, Lord, it's perfect. Lord, it doesn't need any updating. It doesn't need any uh, uh, rebooting. It just needs rereading. So, Father, pray now that you help us, that you'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, we come before you, and Father, I confess that without the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm nothing but an ignorant sinner. And Father, I pray that you'd help us now, give us a sense of the Scripture, make us better Christians, draw us closer to thee. And we sure thank you for the day we've had so far in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, Paul says here, let's back up to verse 7 and uh, get this thing in, in, uh, in, in context. I don't want to just uh, dump the clutch, you know what I mean? You ever do that, just dump the clutch? Blech. Did it a couple of times this morning. <laughs> uh, go back to uh, <clears throat> verse 6. Bible says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And we were dealing with that thing on tribulation. And what that is, is when you suffer the way God intended for you to suffer, in other words, you're going to go through some things in this Christian life, amen. As a Christian, as a child of God, God's going to put some things on you. And when you go through it and you suffer and you do things right and people give you a hard time for it, when you do it right, it gives God the right to give those people a hard time. You see that? I look at 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, he says. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We told you that comma there. That right after the comma uh, is dealing with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes back there at the second advent, he comes back on a white horse. Amen. You've heard of the old white horse preachers. You don't have too many of those left. You don't. You got psychological preachers and feel good preachers and and uh, the, the th- I'll get negative. Just relax. I'll get all sweet on you in a minute. But the, here's the thing. Look, if you listen to much preaching out in the main, um, even lo- uh, locally, and I'm not saying this to straighten pictures and say, look how we're doing everything right, but everyone preaches with such a psychological twist anymore. You know why? Because it's man-centered preaching. And uh, I believe a preacher, if he's worth, he's worth his salt, will be Christ-centered. He preached Jesus Christ. That's what they preach to the new church. And what's going to make you and I more uh, like Jesus Christ is not preaching about you. <laughs> it's preaching about Jesus Christ, isn't it? Amen. I'm going to I'm going to get up here and preach today and how you husbands needs to listen to your wives better. Oh, really? Come on, man. <laughs> now, some of y'all might need to listen to every once in a while, but a message about listening to your wife? You see how I got tight there? You see how it got weird? Because it was you. Okay, well, maybe so, but that's what you're going to hear. 
you turn on uh, the TBN network, the TCT, I'm going somewhere, just give me a second. You turn that stuff on and it's all psychologically driven. Now listen, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Correct psychology is anything they take out of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That's biblical psychology. That's the books of wisdom. Amen? Now if they take their psychology out of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, all right, you're all right. Anything outside that, it's a waste of time. All right, <clears throat> but uh, those are the old white horse preachers we're talking about there. And in verse 7, after that comma, you've got the second coming, or the second advent there. And uh, what separates that comma from that next phrase is a handful of years. And your Bible does that in a number of places. Look at verse 8 now. Uh, the context is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Old preacher uh, sold a shirt at the bookstore, and it was just looked like an ordinary T-shirt. And uh, on the back, I had a picture of this a white Arabian stallion all ripped just like breathing steam and all that and had a picture of this Jewish monarch and it was a picture of his what he thought the Lord Jesus Christ might look like coming back at the second advent. He had him on that vesture dripped in blood and at the bottom it said he's coming back and boy is he mad. <laughs> you ever stop and think he came back uh, he came back to this earth once as a lamb and when he comes back the second time he's coming back as a lion. As they would say, no more Mr. Nice Guy. They had the opportunity for the nice guy. He came as a lowly baby, right? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when he comes back, he's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, verse 8 says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them. Two groups. Two groups here. A number one, that know not God. And here's your second one. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so what you've got, you've got, uh, you've got individuals coming back with the Lord, and that's uh, church-age saints who have suffered with Jesus Christ. And uh, two people, two groups of people here are uh, uh, the ones that know not God, that's the agnostic. And you can tell an agnostic by his speech. He's real polite. He really is. He's super nice. Agnostic is you work with them. And uh, they say this, I don't deny there is a God, there may be, but I don't know. Right? Uh, one fellow said the Latin for uh, agnostic is ignoramus. I don't know Latin, so I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and then the second is, them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to cover that phrase with you. I want you to see that phrase, them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why that's important uh, this evening is because when you're dealing with individuals, uh, that phrase, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a number of uh, groups out there, and uh, they begin uh, with uh, what you would call Campbellites. Now, I know some of you don't like naming names, but some of you need to learn to name some names every once in a while to help you stay out of trouble. Amen? Amen. Uh, if they didn't put the orange uh, vests on the county jail inmates, you wouldn't know half the time it was them. Amen? And if they're wearing the orange vest, would you invite them over for dinner? Amen. <laughs> Y'all are pretty sharp tonight, you know. But there's a group called Campbellites. And what this world wants to do is they want to take the stigma off everything, don't they? They want to take the stigma off uh, doing wrong. They want to call it, uh, well, it's your body, your choice. Uh, okay, but there still comes consequences, right? My parents taught me that there, there's consequences for whatever it is you do, right or wrong. Amen? 
Campbellites, and those are uh, the fowls of Alexander Campbell. And you say, what's that? Well, that's the Church of Christ, baptismal regeneration. And uh, so when we're dealing with Campbellites, uh, not in total, but you've got your Church of Christ. Uh, you also have now uh, people that adhere to that stuff. You've got your Pentecostals. Uh, you've got uh, your Charismatics, um, which is pretty much the same thing. Uh, Pentecostals or para, whatever we're calling it, paramilitary, para-something, para-court, I don't know, I can't talk. Pentecostals or Charismatics, also a uh, number of the Roman Catholic Church, they believe this doctrine right here, they believe that this fire, this fire is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which it is not. All right, I want to show you this, uh, what obeying the gospel is there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, they say, uh, this group right here, they'll take you to, uh, notoriously, especially these first three, they'll take you to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And they'll say, all right, if you're going to obey the gospel, then you're going to have to repent every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you what, if you know your Bible, if you've read your Bible at least once, you know that no one after Acts chapter 8 ever received the Holy Ghost by baptism. You see that? And that's why this stuff is important. So what we want to do is we want to look at a couple of verses that show you this. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And we're just going to look at a couple of places where you see that uh, phrase, uh, obey the gospel. Why? Because there's coming a day at the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come back. He's going to take vengeance of flaming fire upon those that know not God. There's your agnostics. And like we said earlier, an agnostic is nothing more than a polite atheist. He's just polite. Right? And then uh, those that obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 16, Paul says, But they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. Now look at verse 17. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. All right, so to obey the gospel is to what? Believe the gospel. If you're going to obey the gospel, you simply have to believe it. No baptism, no blub blub, nothing in the, you know, not fill it with the tank and dip you and all that stuff. Has nothing to do with any kind of works. I'll say it again. Has nothing to do with any kinds of works. You realize baptism is a work? Oh, look at Matthew chapter 3. I'll show you this. Matthew chapter 3. Look, uh, grab Matthew chapter 3 in one hand, and if you would, grab Titus chapter 3 in another. Two places in Scripture Remember when Jesus Christ, he began his ministry, and he began his ministry with the miracle of the uh, 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 wedding at Cana there, and he goes down there in the book of John, and he goes down there, and he says that he needed to be baptized, right? So, and John's like, I need to be baptized. I'm just paraphrasing it. Bear with me here. Uh, but there in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 15, I believe is where it starts there, right? He's going to be baptized, and what does he say in verse 15? Jesus Christ says to John the Baptist, about ready to baptize him. And Jesus answering and said to him, Suffer it to be so now. You know what he's saying? It's all right, man. Just go, ahead and dump, just go ahead and baptize me. For thus it becometh us to what? Fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You see that? All right. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. He goes ahead and baptized him. Take your Bible to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I think you know where I'm going with this thing. But baptism is a work of righteousness. And the Bible says clearly in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Not my works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, 
which he has shed abundantly upon us all that believe. Right? You see that? So even something like baptism, that thing's a work of righteousness, and that doesn't save you. Never has. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? But not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, all right? So when you get to this whole thing in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse uh, 8 there, uh, the, uh, the Campbellites, uh, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, especially the Charismatics, they'll say that obeying the gospel is uh, uh, you re repenting in the name of Jesus Christ and being baptized, and then you receive the uh, gift of the Holy Ghost. So that's not how your salvation happens. Never has happened that way. Now look at Romans chapter 16. I'll give you another one here. Romans chapter 16. It's important for you to understand this because if you're not careful, you get talking to these individuals and you won't know your Bible and you'll let them talk them right out of the things that you're supposed to believe, know, and study. Now, it's not my job to give you all the answers. It's just my job as a preacher and a teacher to point you in the right direction, maybe show you a little bit of how to study, give you some things that the Lord has already taught you during the week and maybe shore you up on a couple things. Romans chapter 16, verse 26, notice what Paul says here, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of what? Faith. So it has nothing to do with works whatsoever. You see it? The obedience of faith. To believe the gospel is to what? To obey the gospel is to believe it. And the Lord takes vengeance on the individuals at the second advent that know not God and those that obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Back to that verse uh, in, in verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. I want, to, I want to look at this thing about a flaming fire. Just a couple things I really want to kind of get into here because I think it's important for you to see it. It's important for you to make the connection. In verse 8 there, he talks about a flaming fire, doesn't he? I want to talk about that flaming fire. This thing is connected with the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, he comes back and he's taking vengeance out on people. All right? And there's a flaming fire connected with it. It says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that uh, flaming fire is always connected with God's glory. It's always connected with God's glory. I'll say it again. It's always connected with God's glory. I want you to see where that thing pops up back to Exodus 24. That thing pops up at Exodus 24, getting ready to go on the mountain. Moses is there. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. The Bible says, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire. You see that? Whatever that author Moses saw, he said, Man, I'm looking at him, and it was like a devouring fire. That thing's connected with the Lord. That thing's connected with God there. I'll take your Bible and go to Joel chapter 2. Now look, Christian, this is the only book you and I have that doesn't have to be updated. It's the only book that doesn't need a fact checker. It just needs people to check it. Check it out. Look at Joel chapter 2. I'm trying to show you where that fire is connected to. It's connected to the glory of God. It's connected to the second advent. I'm telling you what, that thing is more than just a little campfire where all the Boy Scouts roast weenies. Amen. I mean, this is a devouring fire. This is a flaming fire. This is a big, bad deal. Exodus 24, not, not Exodus, but Joel, chapter 2. Uh, this flaming fire comes down with Jesus Christ when he comes down. Remember, he comes down, he comes down with a sword that goes out of his mouth, Revelation 19 says. You know where we're at? 
All right, Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Look what it says. He says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. You see that? The context of this thing is at the end of the tribulation, the day of the Lord. All right, getting ready to go into the battle. The Lord's ready to come back. We're about ready to go into the battle of Armageddon. Joel chapter 2, verse 2, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. And that, that darkness, man, there's a bunch of passages you could run, but we won't. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. That's, that's the church age saints that come back with Jesus Christ. Why? Because they've suffered with him and they're able to rule and reign with him. And they come back with him on white horses. That's Revelation chapter 19. And this is who it's talking about in Joel chapter 2. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Notice verse 3. A fire devoureth before them. <clears throat> That's the second advent. And that thing matches where we're studying, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, and 8, that we're talking about right now. He says, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. You see the picture? The Lord's coming back. He's got all the armies of heaven with them. That's Revelation chapter 19. They're as the angels of God. That's Matthew twenty two thirty. And he comes back, and there's a flaming fire, devouring fire, and go before him. And there's a fire going behind him. Man, that, he's like a ball of fire. All right? And it says, uh, <clears throat> the land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. You get the picture now? He's burning everything up as he comes through. <clears throat> There's your positive message, you know, positive FM. <laughs> He's coming back, and everything's green in front of him, and he comes back to burning fire, and everything behind him is just scorched earth. That's what the Lord's going to do. All right, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing, nothing shall escape them. You see that? Nothing. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and of horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of the mountain shall they leap. This is the glorified body of the saint. The noise of a flame of fire. You see that? That devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. Now look at this. All faces shall gather what? You want to know why they're black? Because they're burnt. He comes back and burns them up. And that flaming fire is the baptism of fire. I want you to hang on. That flaming fire is the baptism of fire in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And now you maybe you can understand why we're talking about it. Because this is where all the Campbellites and Charismatics, they get all hung up here. And they say, oh, you've got to have the baptism of fire, the baptism of fire. Oh, I'm lost to Lashandai. You don't want that stuff. That baptism of fire is when the Lord comes back with the saints at the second advent and he burns everything up. And it does, it's not just like poof, burn, and it's out. You're going to find out the further we go down this rabbit hole here, you're going to find the fire that he starts is a fire that turns into hell itself and it never goes out. And that's what we're looking at here, Matthew chapter 3. Now, it's a baptism of fire spoken of by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 11. John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's given you two options. The Holy Ghost is the, uh, the baptism that you and I receive when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. You see that? That's a spiritual baptism. 
That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It has nothing to do with water, and that's what sinks most people's ship. They think every time you say the word baptize, that means you've got to fill the tub and jump in it. No, nothing. All right, so he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So you've got the choice. You either get the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost there, right? And if you reject that, then you get burned up. That's the baptism of fire. Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see that unquenchable fire? Uh, you say, why do you go through all this, preacher? Isn't it a little bit heavy? It's, a, it's important. It's important and I, because many of uh, these deceived individuals are going to try to make you believe that that fire is the gift of tongues or some kind of special second blessing let me tell you what, you know, that, that flaming fire, that's where Jesus Christ comes back at the second advent. You don't want that baptism of fire. And there's so many there things screwed up worse than a corkscrew. Now look at Revelation chapter 19. Imagine getting up into your people and say, we want the baptism of fire. And you just looked at 10 verses that say you don't want the baptism of fire. You need, what you need is fire insurance. Amen. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I purchased the greatest fire insurance you ever found. You say, you didn't, you didn't trust the Lord because you loved Him? No, I've learned to love Him. I trusted Jesus Christ because I didn't want to go to hell. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And if you, if you trusted Him for any other reason, man, I, you're a liar. <laughs> Revelation 19.11. All right, Revelation 19, 11, the Bible says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. <laughs> now look at it, here it is, 12. His eyes were as, you see it? A flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had, uh, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. I right, hold that spot, and I go over to 2 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to tie it up. 2 Thessalonians 2, that flaming fire is Christ coming back at the second advent, that unquenchable fire. And hopefully I'll put some of your, uh, the Gospels together for you here in just a second. You're going to see where this whole thing ties in. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 8. The Bible says, Paul says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, and that wicked, of course, capital W, that's the person that's an antichrist, when the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's right, right back to Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. You see that? Consume with the brightness of his coming. And that's talking about the fire that's coming out of his mouth. And, uh, and fire is coming out of the mouth of the Lord there. And uh, verse 15, Revelation 19, 15 said, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Let me tell you what, if you're not saved, man, you need to get saved. Because when he comes back to this earth, and see, Hollywood's setting you up. Hollywood's setting you up right now that one day it's all going to be peace and love and, you know, uh, love and good times and cocktails around for everybody. And it's just going to be a wonderful time. We're getting better. No, we're getting worse and worse. And one day the Lord comes back and you see what's coming out of his mouth, a flaming fire, and he burns this cotton-picking place up because he's mad. And if you don't have your fire insurance, you're going to burn. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword. Go to Malachi chapter 4. 
Malachi chapter 4, talking about the second advent when Jesus Christ comes back to the... You want to know why uh, the UN uh, hates Israel? Because as long as Israel's a nation, it's a reminder that the UN's days are limited. You can, you, you can stand around all day long and call yourself a peacekeeping force when the only reason that, that whole circus over there was ever formulated was to stand against the nation of Israel. And they say they're the world's greatest peacekeeping force, but yet they've caused more than one war every single year since it was formed. And every day that goes by that Israel is still a nation, which it's always going to be, is a reminder to the United Nations that their days are numbered and they're going to get overthrown by what? By the Lord. Malachi chapter 4, 1 to 3. The Bible says... For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up. <laughs> Man, what a time. Saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 2, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stalls. Now through that place there he talks about things that are going to happen. I'm going to show you one, another one here. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Talk about that flaming fire. You need to look out for flaming fire in the Bible because it's connected with God's glory. And when God shows up, God's glory comes with him. And it's a, it, it's a rough time. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 20. And over here in Ezekiel chapter 20, Ezekiel the prophet, he's a preacher. He gets hammered. He gets hammered pretty good. And everyone around Ezekiel, uh, when you get to the end of this uh, passage of Scripture, they think that he's just talking, talking funny. He's talking in parables. And, uh, and, uh, and you say, why? Because he's talking about hellfire. Ezekiel's talking about hellfire. When we get to the end of that thing, they say, uh, uh, you, you're speaking in parables. <laughs> you're just being figurative. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, even most Baptist preachers today, they've, uh, they've air-conditioned hell. They made uh, hell uh, not so bad a place to be, you know. I mean, honestly, uh, when was the last time you heard a good scorching message on hell? Now, Jesus Christ uh, had a ministry of three and a half years, and he preached on hell nine times. Nine times in three and a half years, so we take that practical application and say, you probably ought to preach on hell at least three times a year. Jesus Christ did. Nine times in three and a half years. And uh, even the major commentators, when they get over Luke, you know, Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus, they go over that passage of Scripture, even most, uh, most all, recogni- all recognized commentators, when they get to Luke 16, you know what they call it? They call it the parable of Dives. You say, why? The Bible told you that's exactly what they're going to call it. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20. And uh, they think you're just telling a story. And it's unfortunate that some people are well-known preachers have gotten that way too. Some, I won't even say their name out of respect for who they are and the ministries they have. Uh, towards the end of their ministry, they start backing off on hell. Let me tell you what, you back off on a lot of things, don't back off on hell, man. Don't back off on hell. <clears throat> back off on your standards. Help yourself all day long. Your standards don't matter. What God says goes. Ezekiel chapter 20 Verse 46, the Bible says, Son of man, set thy face toward the south, and drop thy word toward the south, and prophesy against the forest of the south field. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, 
and it shall devour every green tree in thee, and every dry tree. The flaming flame shall not be quenched. You've heard that saying, uh, shall not be quenched at least two times, right? And all faces from the south to the north shall be burned therein. And all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Look at 49. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, they say of me, doth he not speak parables? And I'm telling you, get over Luke 6, uh, 16, uh, the Bible account, the Lord's account of the rich man and Lazarus, all your major recognized, recognized scholars, they call it the parable of divings. Why? The Bible told you that that's how mankind treats that stuff. And uh, Christ says over there in the book of Matthew chapter 10, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what's interesting about that verse right there? You know it. You believe it. But here's the thing. If you, if you were to die without Jesus Christ today, where would your body go? In the grave, wouldn't it? Your soul would go to hell. Right? Absolutely. Your body go in the grave, your soul going up. But you realize after the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes back and he sets up his throne, he rules the nations with a rod of iron. You see what he just said in Matthew chapter 10? There's coming a day when men mess up on this earth and he's ruling and reigning from the uh, mercy seat of Jerusalem, that he's going to throw both their body and soul into everlasting hell fire. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 66. During the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, when a man sins, and uh, how that thing works is God takes that man, his body, and his soul at the same time and casts him into an open hell, and all the world can see it when they come to Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 66, look at verse 24. Isaiah 66, 24. Lord picks him right up, pitches him into hell, literally in the body and in the soul. 24, Isaiah 66, 24, the Bible says, And they shall go forth, future. And look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. Here it is. Now you're going to, it's going to click, click with you now. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Which, of course, is exactly what Jesus Christ was referring to in Matthew 10. And you go back one chapter in, Mark, uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 44, 46, and 48, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Where their worm dieth not. And he says that three times, and would you believe it? All your new Bibles take that verse right out of 44, 46, and 48. Why? Ah, Lord, he does speak parables. They don't believe it. So they take it out. That flaming fire is connected with the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever you talk about hell, people get real nervous. They get as nervous as a room full of cats in a rocking chair room, amen? They get real nervous. They want to air condition it. They want to tone You know, if you didn't preach so hard on that stuff, and I don't preach hard on hell. I mean, when I preach hell, I preach it as hard as I can. But it's not, it doesn't come up in every service, amen? Why? Because there's more to the Christian life than just warning you about hell. If you're saved, you're, you're not going to face hell. Now, I believe every once in a while, you ought to put hell in front of a Christian. I believe you ought to take hell if you're a preacher and you're worth anything at all. You ought to take hell the best way you can and paint that picture and throw it right and put it right in the lap of the Christian and say, unless you take hell seriously, your family's going there. Unless you take hell seriously, your friends are going there. Unless you take hell seriously, your neighbors are going there. 
And every once in a while, because in these last days the Bible says the love of some will wax cold, every once in a while the flames of hell ought to be able to heat you up just enough to wake you up. And remember, there's, we're supposed to be redeeming the time for the days are evil. But that flaming fire is connected with the uh, second advent and the baptism of fire is, uh, I don't know if you're going to paint a picture, it'd be like the wildest kind of napalm bombing run you've ever seen, but it doesn't go out. It doesn't go out. Uh, back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Now I find that interesting. All that stuff connected to the glory of God, all that stuff connected to the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, the Lord just... And I'm sure you saw it a long time ago, but as I begin to run those references, begin to connect the dots, I'm seeing where the fire is not quenched, unquenchable fire, and all of a sudden, literally dozens of passages just begin to concrete themselves in my mind. You say, well, what's wrong, preacher? Are you ignorant? A little bit. You'd be patient with me. We'll go somewhere. Amen? But it's good to know that when you study your Bible and you believe the Bible and you compare Scripture with Scripture, that even it don't matter how dumb you think you are, he can turn the lights on. Thankful for that book. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, the Bible says there in the back part, them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, so those people are going to be burned up. And that's the second advent. That's when he comes back, sets up his a kingdom on this earth. Look at verse 9 now. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, simply meaning it lasts forever, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Again, that fire is connected with God's glory in Exodus 24, 17. And you know that hell is everlasting. It never goes away. And once the Lord kindles this fire He's talking about uh, that is there in the millennium, probably somewhere down there uh, around Sodom and Gomorrah, just south of the Dead Sea, that thing will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And uh, that's what a lot of people try to get out of today. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 14. I'll just show you two verses on this thing, but that, that thing's forever. There's, there's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as limbo. There's no such thing as prajna. There's no such thing as, uh, you know, some intermediate thing. It's, you're either lost or you're saved. It's either heaven or hell. It's turn or burn. Amen. And uh, Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 10 to 11. You say, well, wh why do you try to scare people? Uh, I'd rather scare you, uh, scare you uh, straight, hell straight, than uh, leave you scorched, amen? You live in a crazy society. Nobody wants to bother anybody anymore. I mean, except, you know, the, you know, the sales channels. They don't mind bothering you. I mean, you, you, if, you schedule, if you schedule right now, if you schedule an appointment with your insurance agent, they will push for a decision before you leave, right or wrong, 100%. If you have a financial advisor and you schedule an appointment with him to review your information, he will push for a decision before he leaves. But you come to church, why is he always, why is he always pressing us? Everybody else does it. Just what I'm trying to press you for is eternal. I'm not trying to get in your pockets. We'll go cut wood for that, man. Help yourself. Uh, trying to press you for a decision for eternity. And uh, what did I want here? 1410. Hell is forever. 1410. All right. 
Uh, Bible says in uh, 14.10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up, how long? Forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here's the patience of the saints, so forth and so on, talking about tribulation salvation. Now look at one more, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. This fire that begins because it's connected with God's glory, and you can see it in his eyes, and I believe it comes out his mouth, and also that will help you put the judgment seat of Christ because everything goes through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and, and you, tries you. But in Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 10. The Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That thing's forever. And let me tell you what, hell is not going to get cooler either. And just because there's a bunch of Baptists around uh, this community or any other community for that matter who want air-conditioned hell doesn't mean hell is any cooler. And uh, that fellow in uh, Luke chapter 16, that rich man who was burning and saying, uh, Lord's or, uh, Father Abraham's son Lazarus says, uh, me dip a tip of his finger in water and he may cool my tongue. He's still burning. He's still burning 2,000 years later. All right, and, uh, but that's the second coming. The Lord himself kindles that fire. And what you need to realize is once he kindles that fire, that thing burns through all eternity. And it burns and burns and burns. And... Uh, uh, let me show you where this thing pops up in Isaiah 34. Look at Isaiah 34. Imagine someone no, looking just at the verses that you've looked at, and uh, the Bible was written in the fourth to fifth grade understanding level. I still can't understand it, so that tells you how smart I am. Amen. <laughs> it was written in the fourth grade uh, intellect there. Imagine just covering these verses that you've covered tonight, and then listen to someone try to tell you the baptism of fire has to do with, you know, you know, all this, that, and the other, and speaking in tongues. Are you kidding me? Would you just make that up? Here, take your crayons and go color or something, all right? <laughs> but look at this, uh, Isaiah 34, 8. Bible says, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams, talking about kindling that fire, look at this thing. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. You see what this is? It's describing the land when the Lord comes back, and He kindles that fire, and He's telling you, look, the... Uh, uh, the streams are going to be turned into pitch. Pitch burns. And the dust is turned into brimstone. And the land becomes burning pitch. And it shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. All right, back to Second Thessalonians. Now, I know that's some heavy stuff, but I wanted you to be able to see that. And when you read your Bible and you come across that flaming fire, that unquenchable fire, understand that's talking about the Lord coming back at the second advent. And like we taught this morning and last week, if you're willing to suffer for Jesus Christ, you're coming back with him. Amen? You're coming back with him on a white horse. You're as the angels of God in heaven, Matthew twenty-two thirty, And not only that, but you're considered the armies of God in Revelation chapter 19. And you come back with him 
And however that thing, you've got just like a body just like Jesus Christ, and you're described with a supernatural body in Joel chapter 2, and the Lord comes back, and it's like a giant meteor with fire all around it, bam! And he starts that fire, and that fire never goes out. All right, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Now, that might not interest you, but man, that thing's got me peaked. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 1.9, who, now the who is the those, verse 8, shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. They're going to be pushed away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, they'll get no mercy from Him. And once that's all over and done with, they will still be out there burning, and God will be nowhere to be found. Now, here's the thing. This is what a lot of preachers are saying. You've heard this before. They'll say this. Well, you know, hell is just separation from God. There is separation from God, but before there's a separation, you're tossed into hell and you ain't never getting out. And then he turns his back on you and walks away. And you stay there. Look at verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. Of course, one more time, that day is the second advent that takes place and we'll have a body like his. And you know who they're going to be admiring at that day? Jesus Christ. Amen, not you. <laughs> They're going to admire in Jesus Christ. And uh, notice it says here, glorified in his saints in verse 10. And uh, I don't know, right now, honestly, a lot of times he's, he's probably not glorified in any of us. But what there's coming a day where he's going to be glorified in us. Uh, and the reason that uh, he doesn't get glorified in us is because people around us often are hung up by the vessel they have to look at. You know, I can't get glory around us because we're so obsessed with the vessel. And the vessel isn't giving God the glory. The vessel is giving glory to himself. And uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll show you this verse here. I know many of you know it here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, what happens is people in this world, they get, they get sidetracked looking at the vessel. And they can't see what's inside the vessel. And uh, it's a tough thing. This thing, uh, as they say, uh, this cuts close to the cotton. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's the earthen vessel? This hunk of flesh, right? That you've got to scrub and, and wash. Amen. Hope and pray God you do, and I know you do. And you, you spray stuff on it, right? And you put deodorant on. Why? Because it's, it's a stinky vessel, and the vessel ain't getting any better. But the treasure is not the vessel. The treasure is inside the vessel. You say, what's that treasure? Well, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the treasure is the one living inside that vessel. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Paul says, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And you know, folks often can't see the treasure for the vessel. You say this, well, you can't see the forest for the trees. A lot of times people can't see Jesus Christ because they're too busy looking at you. You think about that thing that goes back to Enoch there, and the Bible says over in Genesis, was it chapter 5, that Enoch walked with God, and every day uh, Enoch would get up and go walk with God. You say, what does that look like? I don't know, he just got went and walked. Hey, Lord, good morning. How you doing? How you been? <laughs> you know, is it, it going to rain? And the Lord's like, it ain't ever rained yet, Enoch. Just be patient. We'll get there eventually, you know. <laughs> and just the Bible says, and Enoch was not, for God took him. Enoch was not, for God took him. Say, what are you saying? The more Enoch walked with God, God just took him. And the picture of that thing is there. The more you walk with Jesus Christ, 
the less they should see of you and the more they should see of Jesus Christ. So Enoch just woke up one day, walking with God, been walking with God for 360-some years, and the Lord's like, I guess it's a little closer to come to my place than it is your place, and he just took him right on home. But that's that treasure in earthen vessels, and a lot of times people can't see the treasure because they're too tied up with the vessel. And that's why, look, I understand we're saved by grace through faith, and we're not under the law. Thank God we're not. But what you do with your vessel matters. How you treat your vessel, how you display your vessel. Why? He says that the excellency of the power. What power? The power that's inside the vessel. If you're here today and you're saved, you have the same power, the same spirit residing in you that blew Jesus Christ out of that tomb to the third heaven. Probably not the greatest way to describe it, but Jesus Christ took a trip. He, he rose from the dead. He took a trip to the third heaven within minutes. That's power. I don't know about you. I like guns, and I like, I like big guns too. Amen. I like power, but being able to go from here to the third heaven back in, in, in a couple hours, man, that's power. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. All right, that verse says, One day he'll be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them. So it'll be him, Jesus Christ, being admired, not you or me. You've got you to remember this, Christian. When we get to heaven, we all lose our identity. Some of you are going to struggle with that because you're so focused on yourself. It will all be Christ's identity and what Christ did for us. Think about it. When we get there, we'll have all power, but we'll know how to use it. If God gave you all power right now, man, this place would be a mess. You realize when Jesus Christ was on this earth, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. He had all the power of the God of the universe because he was the God of the universe. But yet he knew how to use it. That's why when you go over the book of John, was it chapter 20, and they're coming to get him, right? And the, and the chief priests and the scribes, they come to the garden there, and, and Pete and John are, are there trying to wake themselves up, and, and it says, we're looking, for, we're looking for Jesus there, or whatever his name is. And, and he stands up and he says, I am he. And the Bible says they all fell over and went backwards. He just, all he said was, I am he. And I mean, everybody in the whole block. Why? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow. <laughs> you want to talk about power. Can I tell you that that same power is inside of you and people get hung up for the vessel because uh, they can't see the treasure because of what you're doing with your vessel. And we'll have all power one day and uh, Jesus Christ was the only one that could uh, handle that thing right. And, uh, but he'll be glorified in us in that verse and everybody will be looking at Christ at the second. I'm looking forward to that day. You say, you looking forward to going to? Yes. Are you looking forward to getting out of here? Yes. I know that benefits me. Amen. But what does it really benefit the Lord to come get us. You ever stop and think of that? But one day he'll be glorified in us. That's about the only thing I can think is when he finally gives us that perfect body like unto his body in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Then from that point on, anything a saint does will give God the glory. You ever just stop and consider how many times that you or even myself, I've thought throughout the last couple of weeks there's places and time and or I could have said something for the Lord, and I didn't. He just kind of, you know, I sat on it. What's wrong? Cat got your tongue? I guess so. <laughs> right? But you realize when you get to heaven, you have that glorious, glorified body that you'll always give God the glory. Will that be a blessing? You don't have to worry about it. It's just like be a second nature. And you would think that after all he's done for us, and he's been so good to us that we'd just give him the glory, and we don't. 
what happens is our heart deceives us. Heart deceives us desperately. Who can know it, right? And all of a sudden, God's so good to us, and we won't say it out loud, but your heart will go, you deserve that. You deserve a break today. How about this? You deserve a she shed. <laughs> you deserve a whatever it is you deserve. You deserve a Kit Kat or something like that. And you know what we do? We give ourselves the glory. God's been so good to us. Amen? And after a while, we think we had something to do with it, but we don't. And when we get to heaven, guess what? That verse says uh, he'll be glorified in all of us, all of us. And because then you'll have a glorified body. And think about it. You all be fixed up. Some of you all are broken up tonight, right? When you get up, you get up slowly. Some of you, when you get up, certain sounds come from your body. Crick, crack. Some of you, if you get up too fast, you're like, oh, I'm going to pass out. Right? Why? It's your body. There's something wrong with your body. <laughs> and uh, some of y'all, you go out and work, and you come in, and your wife goes, what is that smell? It's me, honey. I'll go take care of it there. But uh, we'll be all fixed up. We'll have the mind of Christ. Can you imagine that, having the mind of Jesus Christ, never having to check yourself of sin? Because right now, if you're living for Jesus Christ the way you should, you're always being careful about what you think. You're bringing every thought into the captivity of the knowledge of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're bringing every thought into captivity of, of, of the obedience of Jesus Christ. And you're trying to get everything submissive to His will. And every time you turn around, there's, there's either a, a, a different... Uh, the devil's trying to get you to do this. Your flesh trying to get you to do that. And you can't let your guard down for nothing. You have to walk circumspectly everywhere you go. Amen. You're like an ADHD Christian. <laughs> you know, squirrel. And you can't even think about the squirrel because then a billboard comes on and you got to mute that. And then you get in the car and you're looking for news or something because you want to, you know, you know who, who lost in the midterms or something. And all of a sudden they play a song when you're in high school. And then those memories. And you know what you got to do? You got to rein that thought back in. Nope. Uh, that ain't me no more. Nope, that's not me. You may know me by what you see, but God knows me by heart. And you got to take every thought, but when you get up there, you'll have the mind of Christ. You can think whatever you want, and it won't be sinful. What a blessing. <laughs> and, uh, but you'll always want to do what Christ wants. Look at verse 11. We're done here. The Bible says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Now, there's a lot here, and we won't get through it all, but I want you to note, he says, now, worthy of this calling. You know what that calling is? Go back to verse number 5. You're going to see what that calling is. The Bible says there in verse 5, talking about being worthy of the kingdom of God. And that, uh, that is what he has called us to do as Christians. He has called us to be worthy of that kingdom one day. And the only way you get there is he wants you uh, to suffer. And he doesn't want you to uh, focus on uh, preparing yourself and uh, changing yourself and uh, developing yourself. And if I just uh, develop my skill set in this area, and if I, if I learn to be open, more, more open-minded, no, he wants you to suffer. You see the difference? The world says... You have to go do something to be somebody. The Bible says you have to suffer to be somebody. 
The world says promote yourself. You know what the Bible says? Demote yourself. They're completely opposite. He says, uh, worthy of the kingdom of God, in verse 5, for which ye also suffer. And the only way that you get there uh, to, to become worthy of that, the only way you get there is to suffer. So here again, Paul is calling them to suffer again. And it's like every time Paul shows up, it seems to be connected with suffering, doesn't it? He's a, he's a real party breaker. Look at this thing in Philippians chapter 2. I think here's an unhitching spot here in Philippians chapter 2 that we can uh, put everything in the barn the way we found it. Amen? Isn't that what you were taught as a kid? Put it back the way you found it. <laughs> my, uh, my dad that raised me, man, I tell you what, he was, used to be a police officer, and I don't know how he did it. He could just tell if you were in a room. I don't know. Maybe he just baloneyed me. I just believed him. You went in there and you left the door open. Like, what were you born in a barn? Well, possibly, amen. <laughs> Look at Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> but that's old school raisin, isn't it? And you're a tough crowd. They must be tired. Too much melatonin, you know. All right, and the way you're able to do this is verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And it's to let Christ work his way out of you on the outside. Look what he says in Philippians 2, 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. You see that? Wouldn't that be something great said of you and you got the judgment seat of Christ? Lord, get up there and say, you know what? You always obeyed. Whenever the Spirit of God, whenever I pressed the Spirit of God on you, you just went ahead and did it. That'd be something to be said about you, wouldn't it? That's the hardest thing to do, get Christians to obey the Bible. He says, uh, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, you know, not just when I'm looking over your shoulder, but now much more in my absence. In other words, uh, they're doing it just not uh, when the parents are watching them. <laughs> Right, But uh, when the parent's not watching them, he says this, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for, right? He says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now let me ask you a real simple question. What's your salvation? It's Christ, isn't it? Your salvation is Christ. So you've got to work out what's on the inside. You've got to get that thing to the outside. And there's only one way to do that. Look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm going to see if I get this thought across when we are done. So God's working to get uh, out of you what's on the inside, right? He puts something inside of you. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, he, who, uh, he that hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete until the day of Jesus Christ. All right, when you got saved, he did something inside of you. You know why you can't go to heaven right now? Because this thing's holding you captive. If once this flesh drops... See it? Out of here. All right? Uh, him says, this robe of flesh shall drop and rise. Right? Okay. So the only way that you can uh, uh, get, uh, get, get the inside out is to get rid of what? The vessel. You've got to get rid of this thing. He's like, well, that sounds kind of sadistic, preacher. No, I'm, ta- I'm talking about killing yourself, goofball. I'm talking about the only way that, that, that what's on the inside comes to the outside is you've got to die. And you know what the Lord does? You gotta, you gotta put that vessel aside. You gotta put that earthen vessel. You gotta have no regard for that vessel. You see that? And you gotta always be putting down the flesh, don't you? That's not piety. That's just scriptural command. You put the flesh down. Your flesh tells you to do something. You say, "Drop dead." I ain't listening to you. I don't tell your wife that. You'd be in the doghouse. Amen. You tell your flesh that. Your flesh tells. You, listen. Your flesh tells you you're hungry. You know. You know. It's lying to you. 
Is it okay to use that illustration? The food illustration? How many of you ate today and are willing to admit it? And as soon as you got done eating, within a matter of time, your body said, feed me again. You know why? Lying to you. Because here's the thing. If you didn't eat, you'd still be okay. Now, look, I understand there comes a process of time where you got to eat. Right? I mean, even Riley's got that thing figured out. Thank you, sis. Appreciate the laughter there. <laughs> but you always got to deny your flesh. And uh, Paul's flesh was a mess. And here's the thing I want you to see, and we're done. Paul's attitude uh, was always, Lord, what do, you want, what do you want to do with me today? You ever stop and think that in, in the infancy of uh, Paul's Christianity, he's on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. We're done. I'm coming in. Here's the landing. The landing gear's dropped, and I'm done. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, he's a brand-new Christian, right? He gets converted on the road to Damascus. What is the first thing he says? What wilt thou have me to do? I don't know if you ever thought about that thing, but that's spiritual infancy. Paul was a spiritual... Now, look, I understand his training was like fast-track, super-duper, and all that training would come into play, right? After he got saved. But he was a spiritual babe in Christ, and he had enough sense to go, hey, what do you want me to do? Right? I mean, on the spot, it unhorses Paul, what wilt thou have me to do? But I believe the Lord's trying to get you past that. That's an infant stage of growth, the way I see it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul has gone from, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do, to, Lord, what do you want to do with me? You see that? See, at the beginning, it's, all right, what do you want me to do? Here, I, I will do whatever you want me to do, Lord. By the time you get to Philippians chapter 2 and it's all about rejoicing and suffering, Paul's now like, all right, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Because I'm just the vessel. And I know the only way that you're going to extract anything out of me is that this vessel has to be burnt beyond all recognition. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that present your body a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul goes from, what wilt thou have me to do, to Lord? What do you want to do with me? All right, let's stop right there. Stop right there in verse 11. 